Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gayatri. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. Our guest today is a person of many passions, one being a podcaster himself. A trist with a service desk and experiencing the power of empathy in his very first job put Ram Iyer in a unique position, unlike other programmers, to help him build resilient systems through rapid automation, learning the ropes of test-driven development, and designing for infrastructure at scale, and integration of varied businesses and their systems in his current workplace. Do we all have to line up? on the same starting line is it really a must to have a passion in life listen on until the end to ram's message for people wanting to join the tech and software industry so good evening ram welcome to the software people stories it's really nice to have you on our show today thank you it is nice to be on the show as well so we start usually by asking our guests to introduce themselves to our listeners how would you like to do that for for the people who are going to tune in into this show hi i'm ram and uh, i'm an it infrastructure automation expert at merck i'm also a published author of a book on using powershell core for linux automation um when i'm not at work i am a writer a blogger a podcaster sometimes a talking head on youtube a foodie and what else a cyclist lovely to have someone like yourself on the show it always makes for a lot of interesting conversation so how did you decide choose or otherwise to get into software or learn about it uh it was not much of a choice so when i'm i was uh, i was in my college everybody said you know you, you should get campus placed and uh, you should find a good opportunity among the things that you've got and stuff like that i was part of the uh, electronics and communication department and i wanted to get into you know core electronics companies but at the time the market was such that you know they would just accept uh, masters graduates so i wasn't there yet so i f- i figured i will get into any field so that i can support my higher education <laughs> software is something that i i sort of got anyway i was uh, i was interested in programming i was good at c++ and uh, microprocessor programming don't ask me to do it anymore <laughs> i've completely forgotten it uh, that's that's how it just happened uh, cognizant came in and uh, they said they would accept graduates from the computer applications and you know computer sciences wings my faculty members just you know got a couple of us from our class into it they said these guy you can take these guys these guys show some aptitude towards uh, programming and things like that and we attended the interview we cleared it and there was i was in the it industry i figured i'd be i'd stick around for a couple of years uh, figure something out do my highest high studies and go on from there and it turned out that i actually loved the it industry and i just stuck around 
Now, I am extremely passionate about automation and currently I'm pursuing something that is related to electronics as well. So I'm, I'm learning a little bit of internet of things and I'm a, I'm basically a tinkerer. So at home, you'd find me tinkering with different kinds of stuff. Recently, I just uh, modified my smart lamp. <laughs> so that that's the kind of things I do. So now I think I've, I've got, got a balance between the two things. And so that's, that's where I am now. So someday, hopefully, we'll see you convert your home and everything around it into a smart environment. Right. That's in progress. I don't think the day is far away. Uh, you sound yeah. like somebody who enjoys tinkering. So how did your initial years at Cognizant shape you in terms of a software engineer? Okay. So I started off in Cognizant as a service disk analyst. So when, you, when you're very new in the industry, you don't know what is going on. I had very, very little exposure to the infrastructure area, at least. A couple of my neighbors at the time were part of the, uh, you know, enterprise applications and, you know, development testing and all of those things, but nobody was in infrastructure. And I was among the very first in the, in the college to be part of the IT infrastructure business. And uh, so I started off with some level of skepticism because I I wanted to be, I wanted to have a technical role and I was given this, but then it all kind of uh, came together at some point and everything became a learning experience for me, especially because I had really good managers, really good leads and uh, very, very good mentors. It's a, it's a long story how that happened, but in short, it was that my experience over there was extremely good. I spent nine years in Cognizant. Yeah, so I went from a service desk analyst to becoming an automation specialist. And now I'm at Merck. I do what I totally love, uh, which is basically automating everything that, that I come across. I mean, we've not gotten a chance to do all of that yet. We're just uh, doing one project at a time, but that, that's how it, it was. One would think that you weren't too jazzed about being part of the service desk when you first joined Cognizant to growing to loving it. But what mm. got you hooked on to automation? It's, it's all about the attitude you have is what I feel. So in the beginning, I was not very excited about what my role was. But, you know, like they say, the first in everything leaves a lasting impression. So the very first meeting that I had with my manager changed my perspective about a few of the things. So a couple of things that he said was, uh, I, I know that you're probably not very interested in doing what you're doing but I do see that you're doing what you're supposed to do. And I want you to continue this because this is a profession and you have signed up to do what you do. But at the same time, as, as the leader of the project, it is also my responsibility to make sure that I give you all of the necessary support for it, for what you want to do. So, you know, he started the process of slow movement towards the more technical aspects of the, of the project. And slowly, it's, it's more like it, when it comes to automation, especially in the enterprise, enterprise arena, you have to know a lot of things before you actually get your hands dirty with it and uh, start doing something, something meaningful. When it comes to automation, you might know the basic framework of how to automate something. But at the same time, you must understand the, the nature of these, these applications that you're going to automate or the platform that you're going to automate. So in my case, what happened was uh, my team, project team itself, 
was open to people getting their hands dirty in in the work that we do right so i would just uh, my manager had told all of the leads in the team that this guy is interested in doing this 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 stuff so just get him involved in whatever you're doing just let him shadow and i actually got got to sit next to people who were doing any sort of migration any sort of upgrades i could learn the workings of different things be it databases be it microsoft exchange be it uh, sharepoint or citrix or windows itself and within windows you have different components so i sat with each of these teams and learned a few things and slowly i moved into what is known as wintel in the infrastructure area which is you know basically windows on intel processors but that's now become an umbrella term to to constitute anything that that is windows servers anything related to windows servers um app virtualization desktop virtualization and all of those things so it was more more like i slowly transitioned in, into these roles and learned all of these things and uh, you know i started with creating reports because that's what the juniors had to do before you understand the systems you the way you understand the systems would be to sit down and create reports try to figure out what's going wrong and things like that and uh, when you're creating reports and you see that there is some non compliance or anything you sit down and fix that right so when when i was doing all of these things i kind of saw saw some patterns in them when you see these patterns you you realize that these can be automated in a certain way because they all have very similar nature so you sit down you create a create a way algorithm would be a would be would probably be an overstatement but more like you create a flow of what happens and what ha- what should happen right and then you run a few tests you diagnose the problem you automate all of this process and based on what is going wrong uh, you make decisions you write code for it and you test it so basically i did not want to do reports i did not want to do those troubleshooting steps and all of that manually because you know i i felt it was um, it wasn't challenging enough to some extent uh because some of the issues would be repetitive it's not really fun to do all of those things so i figured why not automate these things so over a period of what 3 years i suppose we ended up automating so much that the systems actually became more resilient than they were designed to be that's an amazing story amazing experience ram thanks so much this is a good example of actually test driven development Uh, i think it's a great experience for someone to start out with otherwise i've seen it's quite hard for a lot of people who write code love to write code and then test whereas you seem to have done something from the other end well yeah <laughs> so it's uh, it's about what your job role is right so as part of operations this is this is your job role it's it's more than finding out what the problem with the application is uh, because application developers develop it from one standpoint which is what we do today right so we develop things from one standpoint but at the same time we have constant interactions with the operations team in our company um to understand what is required from their side so it's it's basically that's how probably it should work you know you have a constant feedback mechanism in case of infrastructure you see that sort of missing because infrastructure is all about implementing already built products um and these are these are things that make the base of where the where the applications run right so we don't have real interactions with the developers because developers are basically 
companies like Microsoft. So it's, it's really not possible to have those things. But from an engineering standpoint, even from an infrastructure engineering standpoint, you, de- you do see that there are, some, there are some gaps and those gaps must be filled in one way or another because you, know, if you, you deal with a lot of integrations and all of those things. And that's really where the problems occur. I think this is one of the things that we all face as part of the infrastructure space. And also, when, you know, when I started off with my master's, that's, that's where I learned a lot of things about the, you know, the real world implementations of anything, starting from testing to the, you know, to even, even making your own programming language. So what, what are those, those things that people think about when they build something, right? So when you get that perspective as well, it's quite easy for you to create something that, that kind of bridges the gap between the two things. Nicely put, Ram. Infrastructure is so much about the building blocks and framework upon which ultimately any organization comes to rest on. One often wonders, you know, when you talk about integrating different applications, it's almost like you have a bunch of ready-made blocks and it's up to you to understand the needs of the organization and put the glue, the cement, the reinforcements to create an environment that is probably serving thousands of people at any given point in time. This brings me to the question on designing for scale. What would be your thoughts on how one can actually design for scale from an infrastructure engineer's point of view? Yeah, that is something that I'm experiencing in my um, current organization. But where I started, that was more like a, a much smaller environment where we could actually sit down and um, do a lot of things, not worrying about scale. But then again, there is, there is this concept of decoupling things, right? So we don't, we look at how things can scale out, so to speak. So, you know, you, you want to add more of the same capabilities. That is, that is one thing, one way of um, scaling. And another way of scaling is adding more capabilities, um, which are, which are different from the existing ones. So that's, that's something that we are doing today because uh, we are sort of making a system to replace a server build system that we have in place. And um, here we are talking about thousands of servers. So it's more like uh, we look at the different, I'm not exactly sure how to put it across, but it's more about we look at when we are building blocks that integrate with each other, we look at how they can talk to each other. So it could be an interaction with uh, the different application APIs because every enterprise environment, especially those that have thousands of servers and you know, they typically have hundreds of applications and at least 10 to 15 applications interact with the system that builds servers because you're supposed to talk to your, uh, con- uh, you know, your, your CMDB, you're supposed to talk to your uh, ticketing system, you're supposed to talk to communication systems, you're supposed to talk to uh, different other things like even, you know, small things like reservation of IP addresses and all of those things. So typically, we sit down and build smaller blocks, we generally look at how, uh, how we can build these things that are independent of where they run. And if they can, if they can have other doors through which you can, you know, connect other pipelines. But yeah, so the basic idea that we run with is to make sure we, we have specific modules. Each module does its own thing. And uh, we make these modules talk to each other in very specific ways. 
Sounds like um, a new kind of architecture by itself. There's bits and pieces of microservices, there's bits and pieces of pipes, there's bits and pieces of building blocks. And over a period of time, architectures are constantly evolving. So I'd certainly be looking forward to you perhaps publishing a book on infrastructure architecture systems. What say? Well, yeah, that that'd be really interesting. I'd be interested to do that, but uh, I'm I'm still in the learning um, phase as of now. Probably in a couple of years. So you said that in your present company, and uh, I happen to read a little bit about it. It calls itself a technology company across life sciences, pharmaceuticals, and science and technology by itself. What does it mean to design, implement, and maintain an IT infrastructure in an environment as diverse as this? Okay, so when it comes to an environment that is so big, you know, we have different teams doing different things. You you have a lot of these uh, teams working in their own systems. So when it comes to an environment that is as large as this, as as diverse as this, like you mentioned, it's about hundreds of different applications, tens of different teams that are handling these applications. When it comes to large environments, they typically have a lot of acquisitions and all of those things as well. So you have IT teams that were part of a separate entity altogether. They are trying to integrate with the parent, right? So this involves a lot of collaboration. It's about trying to find a standard approach to something wherein we we have a basic philosophy on which we rest these applications. And, you know, so we kind of, None of us works in silos. We're all about collaborating with each other in different ways with different other teams because all of these integrations in turn talk to other applications as well. So it's it's more of a global collaboration kind of a thing, not working in silos. And that's that's something that I think we are kind of pulling off really well. That's good to hear. You often hear the uh, contrarian piece where people are working in their individual departments and it's all left to many IT departments to make it work seamlessly. What typically does a day in the life of an IT infrastructure automation expert like yourself look like? I'll talk from the perspective of a, of a system that is like globally placed. General, the general idea of, say, for example, Agile itself is basically to have a call, a stand-up call at the beginning of the day. Um, for us, it's a little different. We have it in the middle of the day because um, that's when all of us are in the office and uh, that's when we you know we're all placed in a way that we can uh, we can work together for us engineers over here in bangalore it doesn't begin with you know planning the day it begins with finishing up what we started the previous day <laughs> and uh, we go through that process by afternoon we have a stand up call and that's where we uh, kind of talk about the challenges that we have what we have planned for the day and things like that and then we begin collaborative work where you know we have meetings with the other different teams and we sit down and try to figure out how to make a certain piece work and so on it's more about how what we typically do is in the mornings we typically write our code in by afternoon we have our meetings by uh, late afternoon we sort of have different calls with the different um, different other teams where we have you know we have to collaborate with them and work on the pieces that we're working on and by evening support the other teams as well, because automation can happen anywhere. And especially in the infrastructure area, you have a lot of automation that that can take place because infrastructure itself, the platform itself is open enough 
to allow all of these things so we typically work with you know different other teams like uh, the os teams or the um, active directory team and uh, and and so on we just write a few uh, automation scripts for them when when they require you know they they might feel that something can be automated a little bit um something can be made easier than it is something can be made less time consuming than it is and so on so we um work with them to help them out with these things and also we are we sort of um have this initiative wherein we actually share knowledge about the process of automation and uh, say automation frameworks like powershell for example so we just some here and there we have these sessions where we uh, get the people in the uh, you know say the windows team or the active directory team a little bit comfortable with using the use, using powershell so that they can do their own automations a little bit here and there so that they don't have to depend on us and so on so that's that's probably what we do as a typical day that sounds like a really packed day but i also love the fact that you know you probably touched upon all dimensions of what it takes to be a well knit team you talked about shared learning discussion collaboration conversations and or you utilize it the remaining time to actually do your work so it seems like a very a seamless flow of things i'm assuming that you work with teams across multiple geographies is that a fair assumption mm-hmm. yes absolutely okay so culturally how did you all sort of come together as a team what do you think were some of the changes that you had to make in the way you approach work or get to know people that would help you all uh, work together okay in my current environment uh, we did not have much of a cultural challenge for some reason i think it's it's all because everybody who is in this environment has had quite a bit of experience in the um in the global work kind of scenario we're talking at least about 6 to 7 years of experience in the it industry we can even see people who've got like 20 25 years of experience in the industry so i think you know we did not have we do not have much of a challenge in terms of you know the the way the cultures different cultures work it's just somehow it feels as though it comes naturally to everybody but when i started off at that time there was quite a bit of you know i felt a little uh, how do i put it it wasn't in my comfort zone for that i think in the beginning and this is almost a decade ago so uh, my memory isn't very good but what i do remember is that we had these sessions where we learned a little bit about every culture out there every major culture out there at least so we even learned about the indian culture we that's when we got to know so many things that we hadn't realized ourselves uh, including the choice of words that we make that's about a decade ago though we had those those kind of sessions and you know when before i uh, gave my interview to the, to my first client we had a session about the american culture itself how the american culture works in the professional world indianisms americanisms and all, all of that kind of stuff so at that time is when we kind of learned it but i think in the it industry culture is yeah sometimes it takes time but people just blend in slowly over a period of 2 or 3 years at the most unlearning was a lot lot about for me because i started with the service desk it was all about um pronunciations and uh, the the words that we use for for a lot of things 
can't remember an example off the top of my head, but it was sort of like that. And one of the uh, pieces of advice that I got was watch American shows. You will learn a lot about the American culture that than you would from from any book or anything. And so that that's when I started watching things like Prison Break and Big Bang Theory and all of these things. That's when you kind of get to know of generally of the of the other cultures that you have in the world, right? So you watch documentaries. So that was something that, uh, you know, that we would be suggested at some point from our, from our communication trainers, because communication training was something that was mandatory for us. We'd be the face of the company to the customer, right? So it was necessary that we did these things. And so I think most people have come from this kind of a background where they have had a lot of interactions with people of different cultures. You, you, you just tend to learn. I mean, as a human, that's, that's in your nature. So we just learned these things over time, I suppose. Nice one, Ram. In fact, you know, you said something very interesting just now. You said you were the face of the company having been part of the service desk. What are mm-hmm. some of your experiences from interacting with customers? Because this is not an opportunity that many people get so early on when they start their career. And are there a few things that you'd like to share with our listeners from those experiences? Okay, so one of the things that uh, I do remember being told of was to always breathe before you answer. Okay, so this is something, you know, as a serv- when you're at the service desk, you tend to get all sorts of calls. So there could be somebody who's, uh, you know, we even had uh, calls where people, people in the plant, because the, our client was a manufacturing uh, company, there would be people in the plant, there would be something called as a boiling boiler room, there would be one person over there during the weekends. And that room, the nearest person for that person, you know, the next nearest person was about a mile away or something. I don't remember ex- the, the exact distance or anything of that sort, but they are pretty far away. So there was this protocol where this person would have to call us every four hours during the weekend to just tell us that they are okay. So you would have that kind of um, calls. You would have people who are, who are time, I mean, who have something, some task that is time bound. And that is the point when computers decide to misbehave and they would call us up and they would be extremely frustrated because it's about their credibility at some point, about their performance and all of those things put together. Now imagine you're, you're, you're going to give a presentation to the CIO of the company. And that's when your computer decides to install the updates. And this, this presentation is about 10 minutes from then. It just keeps clocking, saying that installing updates stuck at 15%. That is something crazy. And, uh, you know, pe- there, are, there are people with that kind of pressure that call you. You know, you are supposed to be the buffer, which takes in all of that and uh, somehow irrespective of how the person, the other person is talking to you, you are supposed to focus on that particular issue and how you can fix it. So that is one of those, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's something that comes to you over time because I have seen people from many teams that actually break down because somebody was just very rude to them. And this happens. This is natural for every human being. Um, For example, when, when I'm extremely frustrated, I have to make an urgent phone call and my phone decides to install updates or whatever it is, or restart, I literally feel like throwing it on the wall, right? So 
this is something that you have to remember and it's something that teaches you a lot about human nature it also tells you that it is it's totally human to be extremely frustrated by what is going on and it is your responsibility to make sure that that person gets his issue resolved it's not about how the person talks to you it's not about you know who you are or who the other person is it's about fixing that particular issue and when when we start concentrating on the on on that particular point and then you slowly learn what they call empathy this is a catch word in the in the service desk even customer service area they say empathy is very important and this is something that you learn um, being in that role right and for me it came to a point where a where a very frustrated individual would call me up and they would tell me what the issue is and they'll they just go on and on sometimes they ramble sometimes they're very curt and they're very rude and all of that over time you know we kind of learned to handle it and also at the same time you know we kind of ended up making a lot of friends so there were there were times when somebody would call up the service desk even after i'd moved out of service desk people would call call up the service desk and say that you know put ram on the call i know he can handle this put him on the call and i want to talk to him so you know you get to that point and that is something that that's a very good um, learning experience and something that that personally sticks in your head for a very long time very beautifully described ram uh, in fact i think this is a great experience and lesson for anyone looking to get into any kind of service industry i'd say so thank you so much for sharing that i've noticed that you like to volunteer a lot where does the inspiration for volunteering come to you from and how has that helped you as a person okay so inspiration for volunteering it was uh, it's something like uh, this when i am in a bad situation and i really need help i typically wish somebody was there to help me and uh, you know get get through the situation or um, find me a solution to a certain problem i just felt that everybody would feel the same thing right so when when there is a crisis or when there is a there is a situation you cannot uh, get through yourself you tend to look for help and most people are not very vocal about it um, sometimes including me right so volunteering i feel is um, something that is that should be a part of human nature i i think everybody should do it at any given point in time there is a bunch of people who are empowered and who are privileged and who can lend a hand to the others so it's more about trying to bring somebody who's not who's in a bad situation to the same level as you and that is probably important because i think that's that's a way of respecting the human race itself um I, and i think every human being has that duty to to do it i really hope that many people listening to this to this particular episode would take up the call of doing a little bit of volunteering at some point in time in their life to any young people wishing to get into the technology software industry what mm-hmm. would be your advice to them one thing that i've uh, i've seen with all of us especially the millennials and the you know the centennials generations y and z is that we sort of probably are missing some level of 
I wouldn't say we are missing some level of patience, but it's more like we've we've all grown up seeing a lot of people succeed, but we do not give enough attention to the amount of work and the time it took for somebody to reach that point. For example, when I was in college, I um, I had a cousin who was a now I don't I don't exactly know what his position was, what his role was, but I knew that he had a great deal of responsibility. There were people reporting to him and uh, he was a, he was at a decision-making role, right? So I kind of looked up to him and uh, I would think of the time when I would be at that point without realizing that my journey was my own. You know, looking up to somebody is one thing, but trying to replicate them is probably not the right way to go. Another thing is that I failed to see at that point that he was some nine or 10 years older than me. And where he had gotten at that point was over a period of nine or 10 years. And it was literally exception. It would be exceptional for somebody to get to that point within a matter of three or four years, even if they do, I'm not sure if they would have the kind of maturity that they would need to get to that point and things like that. So what I do want to say about this is that patience is something that is necessary. And another thing is that, you know, not everybody has the same starting point. It's not like a situation where all of you started the same line and then all of you have to end at the same line. This is, this is a different kind of a situation where you have your own set of variables that you have to take into account before you try to evaluate yourself on how good are you, how, how bad are you. One thing that I would like to say is trust yourself and do what is right. It sometimes would be that, you know, all, all of our odds are set against us. But, you know, the only thing is that we have to have a goal. And we also need to remember that this goal can change at any point in time, because this is a matter of discovery. Now, 10 years ago, I never imagined myself being an automation specialist. Uh, this was not even in my agenda. But over time, as things unfolded, that's when I realized that I like doing this and I'm going to pursue this. At the same time, you, 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 you know, we, we think, we tend to think that we have, we are passionate about one thing and that's probably not true at all. We are passionate about a lot of things. For example, I'm passionate about automation. I'm passionate about writing, even, I mean, irrespective of how good or bad I am at it. That's something that I'm passionate about. If given an opportunity, I would like to learn how to teach. And I would like to, you know, teach children at some point. So I'm passionate about teaching as well. So passion is not just one thing. So generally what people think is, well, I'm in the IT industry because it pays me. I'm not really passionate about it. And probably it's a bad thing for me to do because my passion is say filmmaking and I want to get into that. I, I, I think that's slightly misplaced. People should be passionate about a lot of things. I mean, why restrict yourself to one thing? It's, it's not like an exclusive relationship that you have, right? So I think it's a matter of exploring because as and when we grow, we change, our passions change, our, like, our likes and dislikes change, a lot of things change. So I think we should not put too much pressure into chasing one thing, even though after a point of time, you realize that that's not what you want and you still chase because you spent so much of your time and energy chasing it. It's more, it, it should be more of what satisfies you at the end of the day. So when you're doing something, does it satisfy you? Do you think that you're, you're doing a good job at it? And do you think it is going to somehow teach you something that you think is something that you like? 
we should probably look at it from that standpoint and go on doing what we are supposed to do because like my first manager said you've signed up for it and this is something that you agreed to do this is something that you committed to you should stick to that at the same time you work on what you what you want to be i think we should find a balance between the two and this finding this balance takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of patience as well so i think we should just have some level of patience trust ourselves and keep doing what is necessary at that point in time without putting too much pressure on ourselves about whether we are doing a good job at it because anything for that matter recently i started learning a new keyboard layout called colmac it's been a month i'm nowhere close to how how fast i was with qwerty but these are things that take time learning takes time and development takes time so i think we should have that patience we should continue doing it and at some point we will get to a point where you know we are doing what we like doing uh, very well said rav thank you so much what you just said i think it will be a great source of inspiration for many 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 youngsters out there you know i've thoroughly enjoyed listening to our conversation so thank you so much for your time it's been a wonderful conversation thank you i totally enjoyed doing this i was not exactly sure i this is the first time my being a, a guest on any podcast generally my podcasts are monologues this was a great experience for me having a conversation of this sort and you know it it was great thank you for that we thank siddharth for the music and malavika for promoting the software people stories if you like this episode please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network if you'd like to share your story contact us at podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com